I am looking so forward to discussing uh, tonight's message with you this evening. I don't know if you've ever felt stuck in life, and um, if you have, then you're like me. There have been times that I've been stuck. People come to me occasionally, and they'll say, Pastor, I just feel like I'm stuck in my faith, or I'm stuck in my finances, or I'm stuck in my marriage, or I'm, I'm just stuck in life. And a lot of times we feel stuck when we get into a storm because we don't know what to do to get out of that storm. And our nation has been, well, not just our nation, but the world has been hit with a lot of severe storms lately. I mean, when you look at the floods happening out west, and when you look at along the Gulf Coast, the floods that are happening. Uh, this week I was coming back from a funeral, and my, my GPS was constantly telling me, you need to take a detour here, take a detour here, because there's flooding of the roads. And I've never known that happening before. But I, I've heard a phrase that maybe you've heard this year, and I had to look it up. Um, I've never heard the phrase that there are atmospheric rivers flowing in the sky. Have you all heard that? That was a totally new phrase for me. And so I had to look it up to understand there's so much water because we're in an extended and severe El Nino. We've had those before. And uh, that there are literally rivers of moisture in the sky. And that's what's hampered, hammered California so much. I watched a news video of a family who was panicking, and I felt so sorry for them as they were panicking, and because panic set in uh, with the father and the mother and the kids, it was, they didn't know what to do, and there was a risk of drowning taking place there just simply because they panicked and they were stuck in a place where they could have gotten out of it, and fortunately they were rescued in life. But that kind of made me think a lot of times when we're in a storm, isn't it true? We let our emotions take over, let it in our faith take over. And emotions are a good thing. God created us with emotions. And I like the emotion. Somebody asked me how I was feeling tonight. I thought, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling peachy keen to see. Who cutting? It's 81 degrees in Michigan. I mean, and the sun is shining. Hallelujah. I feel like we've been set free from a prison of darkness, you know. And so, you know, I'm feeling great, and uh, I rode over here with the windows down in the car just to enjoy the fresh air. And um, so, but emotions, I like the happy emotions, the joyful emotions, peaceful emotions, but there are emotions of panic, there are emotions of fear, there are emotions of terror that take place in our life. And tonight's story is about a storm. Tonight's story, which is a true story, it's history, that we're going to read from Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. It's a true story of a life-threatening storm and of some men who were experienced fishermen who got frightened and literally were stuck. They were stuck in life and they couldn't move forward. The thing that happens with emotions, though, is when you're frightened or when you're angry or when you're terrified or when you're scared, you don't make your best decisions. Years and years ago, as a young pastor, I was taught never make a decision when you're angry and never make a decision when you're afraid. In other words, hold steady. Just be still. Wait on God. Seek counsel. Seek advice. But a lot of times when you're terrified, you want to make a decision. You want to do something. Maybe run. The fight or flight syndrome. When you're angry, you want to do something. And oftentimes when we make our decisions in anger, we regret those decisions and it's the reason the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. Another thing that happens with emotions is it can dredge up painful memories 
of the past, of failures, of betrayals, of hurts. And I'm just giving you some examples of things that I have heard over decades of ministry that what happens are the emotions, especially when it comes to memories. They cloud our judgment. And when they cloud our judgment, it's impossible for us to make a good decision. Now, this storm is a little different than the storm we looked at already where Jesus was asleep in the boat. This storm is, it's, it's one that the disciples aren't making any headway in. It's one that maybe they're not, they're not in danger of going down. They've handled storms like this before. But what happens in this storm shows the care of God, the love of God, and how that God comes through sometimes when it seems like it's just too late. There's so much in this. When you read this story, I hope your mind goes back to some of the Old Testament scriptures that tell us how God walks on the water, how God treads upon the waves. I hope your mind goes back to how God parted the Red Sea and parted the Jordan River. I hope as we read this story tonight that your mind is going to go back and you're going to remember how God told Moses and told the people of Israel and David and the prophets that I am with you. Even if you can't see me, I'm with you. So there's a lot in this passage. And again, I'm just going to try and just slam dunk it through here. And if you've got questions, we'll talk about them at the end. But there's just so much in this passage. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. Immediately, circle that word immediately because that's a very strong word in the Greek. Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, people wanted to make Jesus king. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. I think that's such a beautiful passage right there. Jesus is telling folks goodbye. He loves them, but he's saying goodbye. It's time to move on. And he literally must get in the water and push the disciples out in the boat. You've ever done that before? You push somebody away from the shore? Jesus would have pushed that boat out and sent the disciples across the lake. He went up into the hills by himself to pray. And late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And he intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle in the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it all in. When the Bible talks about a hardened heart, just kind of stop, a hard stop right there. When the Bible talks about a hardened heart, it's talking about a heart that refuses to believe. A heart that maybe has hardened and it can't accept the full ramifications of what they had just seen. Jesus, who had multiplied the bread and fish and would pray to the Father, says, Lord, we thank you. We bless this bread that you have bought forth from the earth. They forgot the miracle of the food, the bread and the fish multiplying in their hands as God blessed them and used them. And so they're not seeing what is happening here for them. They're literally experiencing an epiphany 
because they're seeing Jesus, and remember the scripture says Jesus intended to pass them by. That's not a mistake. And it wasn't that Jesus changed his mind. Jesus wanted them to see him, not only as the one who could multiply the bread, but you had this experience of Christ walking on the water. He's literally riding the waves. He's not with a surfboard, not body surfing. He's just literally walking on the water, dancing on the waves. And it was meant to encourage them, but instead they reacted in fear and thought it was a ghost. And after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret, which was not the point that Jesus had told them to go to. And they brought the boat to shore, climbed out, and the people recognized Jesus at once. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to do whatever, to do on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. And they begged him, let the sick at least touch the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. What I want you to see tonight, first of all, and we're going to move through this rapidly, so kind of, if you can, keep up and jot down any questions you have as we go along. Obeying Christ is what keeps me peaceful in a storm. Obeying Christ is what helps me keep a settled heart. Obeying Christ is what keeps me from panicking. And to decide to obey Christ and decide to yield to Christ will always give you a peaceful heart. The disciples didn't want to leave, I'm sure. Who wants to leave a place where you've just saw a miracle of maybe 15 to 20,000 people eating because of the broken bread and fish that Jesus multiplied? The disciples were like, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for that big breakthrough. This is our big momentum moment. And the crowds didn't want to leave. They wanted to make Jesus king by force. But Jesus, against all expectations and what coaches would ad admonish you to do, he makes the disciples, he says immediately, I want you out of here now. And he also sends the crowd away, and he goes up into the mountains to pray. It's a strong word. There could have been many other reasons that I'm not getting at, but look at Matthew 6, 45 again. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake while he sent the people home. A couple of things I want you to see here. Number one, God has a plan for me when adversity comes my way. Because the moment Jesus sent the disciples across the lake and he went up to pray, a storm came up. And a lot of times when things aren't going well, we think we're out of the will of God. When things are going bad, we think we've missed God. But the reason they're in this storm is because they're obeying Christ. And the Bible tells us that we shouldn't be surprised at this because there will be trials, there will be temptations and testings that come our way. So following Christ sometimes puts you right in the middle of the storm. And that really goes against what a lot of people think following Christ ought to do for you. But following Jesus is a life that is bracketed by miracles, trials and tribulations, and more miracles, trials and tribulations, and more miracles. And you see that throughout the book of Mark so far. We've seen miracles. We've seen trials. We've seen miracles. We've seen trials. And you'll see that pattern continue in the book of Mark. And it's an important message for you and I to get. Secondly, God didn't cause this storm. It wasn't that God caused this storm. We live in a fallen world. 
But here the disciples are. They're in the middle of the storm. They're rowing with everything they've got. In my imagination, I see Peter calling out orders and barking out orders. His hair is wet. His be- Just imagine Keith being soaking wet and standing on the stern. Isn't that the front of the boat? Standing on the stern of the boat, calling out orders. And, you know, you just see that wild prophetic look out there. And he's calling out the orders, but they're not making any headway. They're struggling because they're obeying. And maybe tonight you're struggling with something in life, and it's not that you're out of the will of God, it's that you're obeying God. But the key and the secret that God wants you to have is you can have a peaceful heart, you can have a settled heart, you can have a confident heart, and you can have an overcoming heart if you are content to obey Christ. Because the only way you'll enjoy peace and joy and love and an overcoming lifestyle is if you are willing to obey Christ. Second thing I want you to see here is the stress of the struggles. The stress of the struggles. Jesus is on the mountain and he's praying. He's safely on the mountain. I love mountains. I do, how many of you love to go to the mountains? And I love to get on top of the mountains because I can see forever. You know, on a clear day, you can just, and usually every day I get up in the morning and I check to see how far can you see. Today, that you could see for 17 miles according to the weather app that I use. 17 miles because it was such a clear day. And I thought to myself, well, if I was on the top of a mountain, I could probably see 100 miles. Things are always clear when you're on top of the mountain. Things aren't always so clear when you're on the lake in the middle of the storm. But you see the care for Jesus, that he's on the mountain praying. And this has got to be another miracle, that in the middle of a storm, in a sea as big as the Sea of Galilee, or a lake as big as the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees the disciples struggling. One of the things that I loved reading to our children when they were little were the Chronicles of Narnia. And one of those stories, it was like, I'm just going to quote it, Aslan was among them, though no one had seen him coming. And Aslan appeared from over the sea, though no one saw him coming. Listen to me tonight. The fact that you may not see Jesus, don't you doubt for one moment. He's now coming to your aid and coming to your side in the middle of the storm. Whenever I'm in the middle of a storm, I'm always saying to Becky, I'm saying to the church, expect Jesus to show up. Now, I can't tell you what time he's going to show up, but expect Jesus to show up. Look at verse 48. He saw that they were in serious trouble. And you may be in serious trouble tonight. You may be in serious trouble. You may have just gotten your taxes back and go, I'm in serious trouble. You may have just heard from your doctor and I'm in serious trouble. There could be any number of things going on. You say, I'm in serious trouble. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the winds and the waves. And I want you to notice something. He didn't rescue them out of the storm. That's why you hear me say so many times, if you can stand the pulling, God's going to pull you through. If you can stand the pulling, God is going to pull you through. In the New Testament, the word for struggle there is bosanoi, and it means pains in Matthew 24, and it means the torments of hell in Luke 26, excuse me, Luke 16, verse 23. It means to plague or torment in Matthew 8, 6, the servant. In Matthew 8, 29, it's the demons. And in Matthew 14, 24, it's battered by the waves. And I'm reading to you from the theological dictionary of the New Testament. 
This is, you can get the abridged edition and this ought to be in every Christian's library just to be able to look up some of these words because you can see this is not just your average everyday storm. They're in torment. They're in fear. They're stuck. They're not making any headway. But what he does is he enables them. He empowers them. He comes alongside of them and he gives them the ability to continue the journey that he's told them to make. And you see at the end of the story how people are just coming out anticipating Jesus to touch and heal their sick. We never know exactly what God's got in mind for us because of the storms that we go through in life. Although there are a lot of things that I wish that I could change because of things that have happened in my life, one thing I would never take back is the story that God has given me because of the storms of life that I've walked through. Never take back the faith that has come. Never take back the confidence that has come. Because if you live long enough, if you live long enough and you just serve God long enough, you can't swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk and spit the devil in the eye and say, come on, victory. You can do that. Because you've been through so many storms already in life. Look at what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 7. Excuse me, in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. The Lord says, I know the works and toil and endurance of Ephesus. He knows I know the affliction and poverty of Smyrna. He knows the faithful witness in the midst of Satan's throne in Pergamum. He knows the patience and endurance of Thyatira. He knows that the Philadelphia church has little power, but he doesn't deliver them from any of those storms. He promises them victory in the storm, that if you can stand the pulling, I'll pull you through. And that's the reason we need to be careful about a theology that teaches us that if you're really serving Christ, you'll never have any problems. If you're really serving Christ, you're always going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you're really serving Christ, he's already told you what you signed up for. There's going to be trials and there's going to be tribulations, but you're going to overcome every one of them through your faith in Christ. Can somebody say amen tonight? So a couple of things I want you to see here is God's eyes are always watching you. God is always watching you. When our children were little, we'd sing that little song with them. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you say. But we told them not to be afraid that God was watching them. For the Father up above is watching you. We didn't want them going around, oh, is this going to be wrong? Is God going to be? We wanted them to have the confidence that God was watching over them. We taught them another little song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote. I am a promise. I am a possibility. And we'd sing that little song with them. But we wanted them to have the confidence that God was always watching on them. Those are children's songs. But if you didn't learn that as a child... If you weren't taught that as a child and had that modeled for you as a child, then maybe tonight you're still having some struggles going, God's always got his eye on you. And when God's got his eye on you, he's not waiting for you to trip up. He's not waiting for you to mess up. As I said Sunday morning, God forgives our biggest messes. God restores us from our biggest messes. God heals us from our biggest messes. God is watching you in love, and God knows the right time to show up. Knows the right time to show up. A few years ago, quite a few years ago now here, we were invited to a party. And we showed up at the time that I thought we were supposed to show up at. Well, nobody was ready. <laughs> and they, oh, pastor, come on in, come on in. And, and, and I got confused, but 
Nobody was dressed yet. Nobody was ready. I said, no, no, we'll leave. We'll come back. No, no, we don't want you to leave. Come in. And so we sat in the living room, and they kept bringing us stuff to eat while they finished getting everything ready, or they finished getting ready. And then when it was time for the party, I was so full, I didn't want to eat. <laughs> you know, God shows up at just the right time. At 3 o'clock in the morning, how many of you like it when God wakes you up at 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> no, no. But this is known as the darkest hour, 3 o'clock in the morning. This is also known as that time where you've seen in the Old Testament, God shows up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You see it in the New Testament, God. I'm not saying this is divine time, but I'm telling you, many times it seems like it's almost too late. Now remember, the Jewish people counted day differently than we do. We go daylight to nighttime. They went from nighttime to daylight. So that's how they viewed a day. Jesus is showing up, and we would think, at the wrong time. But notice this, three in the clock in the morning, Jesus, underlying this, came toward them walking on the water. Walking on the water. Friends, that's something very gentle. Imagine, and Jesus could have done this. Imagine if Jesus had teleported himself and pushed Peter off the stern and said, guys, here I am. I would have jumped out of the boat. They would have jumped out of the boat. Imagine if all of a sudden this blinding flash of Holy Spirit light, boom, and it flashed, and there was Jesus. They had heart attacks. Instead, Jesus comes walking up. They're getting this, this, this appearance of Jesus in his divinity. He's walking on it. He's gently, he's going to pass them by, and they go, they should be able to go, there's Jesus. Oh, man, he's got this. We got this. There's Jesus. He's going to show us the way. I'm telling you, when I look at this, I go, this is powerful. But instead, there was this panic but Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Notice that. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Sometimes it's just as virtuous, it's just as virtuous to persevere as it is to move forward. Sometimes it's just as virtuous to stand fast. Look at me. This is important. If tonight you feel stuck, Virtue is not giving up. Sometimes virtue is doing what the scripture says, and that's stand fast, stand firm, stay in place. Sometimes in a marriage, sometimes in ministry, sometimes raising children, you've just, if you feel like you're stuck and you're not making, they're not making any progress. The, it's, the Bible's clear, they're not making any progress but they don't give up and drift. Instead, they keep rowing. And so finally tonight, the presence of God is always the solution. The presence of God is always the solution. You've heard me say it several times through the years, but it's always my prayer for our church. If there's anything that I want for Woodland, it's the presence of Jesus. I want people to sense Jesus. I want people to experience Jesus. And what gets me about this is they don't recognize the presence of Jesus. They don't recognize that he's there. 
and they are more frightened by him showing up than they are by his absence. Now think about that. They should have been able to recognize him. I'm not bashing them, but they're more frightened by him showing up than they are by the fact that he's not with them in the boat. So it behooves us then a lot of times to ask ourselves, are we walking with Jesus? Are we obeying Christ? Because there it's peace. Because when you get panicked, when you get terrified, when you get frightened, sometimes you become so confused, sometimes you become so panicked that you believe something that you know is not true. And they said, it's a ghost. And I'm constantly amazed how many people believe in things like that. Do you remember a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, you probably don't, but <clears throat> I did a series <clears throat> on uh, Wednesday nights and we talked about the occult and we talked about ghosts and we talked about witchcraft and magic and things like that. Did an extended series on that. It's one of the most watched series. The one of the most watched messages and, and requested messages was the night I preached about is there any such thing as a ghost? Because people have so many questions about that. And in that time of their fear and their panic, if you look at verse 49, they saw him walking on the water and they cried out in terror, circle that word, terror, thinking he was a ghost. Remember Belteshazzar? Remember when he saw the hand writing on the wall? Meaning, meaning, tinkle, you harpson. He was petrified. He was almost turned to, one of the translations says he was turned to stone. He was just petrified because of this unseen hand that he saw there. You see, if we're not biblical in our thinking, and, and, and I'm, you know, sometimes daddy would say the plow would need to go a little bit deeper. So he'd stop, we'd pull out a, what he called a carter key. He'd set the plow down lower, put it back in. And then he put the tractor in granny gear, and he says, now we're going to plow deep. Give me just a moment, because what I'd like to do is the unseen should not cause you and I panic. We know who is Lord. We know that we live in a world that we're surrounded by angels. We're surrounded by the unseen, eternal. We, we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. We know that there are demonic spirits at work in our world, but we know that greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. We know that there are more for us than those that be against us. We know these things, but if we're not careful, we get a worldly way of looking at it. I don't have one bit of faith that there is a ghost. Let me tell you two reasons why I don't believe there's a ghost. Number one, if I'm in heaven, I don't want to come back here. Okay? Number two, if you're in hell, there ain't no way you're going to get out. Okay? And so just stop and think about that for a moment when people talk about seeing ghosts. And as far as the devil goes, Jesus has already told us we don't need to be afraid of him. Sometimes we have to stand firm. Sometimes we have to stand fast. Sometimes we resist him. And the Bible says he will flee from us. 
But again, when we get to the end of Mark, we're going to find out about casting out demons. We're going to find out about treading on them. God has called. When we say, come on, victory, we really mean the devil is a defeated foe. And so we don't let the unseen world terrify us. Jesus in Mark 6.50, Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Circle that phrase. Three things I want you to circle. Don't be afraid. Then circle, take courage. And then circle the phrase, I am. In the Greek, it's the same translation of the Hebrew that's used in the Greek, at the, at the Greek that's in the Greek Septuagint, which was a translation of the Hebrew. Ego emi, which is what God said to Moses. I am that I am. It's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. I am that I am. I'm here. I'm with you. Notice the next verse. He climbs into the boat, and just his presence, the wind stops. And they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Friends, Keep a tender heart before the Lord. If miracles were going to bring revival to America, we would have already seen a revival. We've seen more miracles, I think, than any other nation. We've seen miracles right here at our church. I mean, we have seen so many miracles. And miracles aren't like in a vending machine that you just get a miracle on demand. I can't explain, but this is one thing, again, I could have said this in faith 30 years ago, 20 years ago, but I can say this, you know, with so much confidence tonight. Some people I prayed for, let's take cancer for instance. I've seen the, I know people miraculously healed of cancer and the doctors have done the x-rays and they can see where the cancer has been and it is no more. Some people we've prayed for, the cancer has gone into remission. And some people have died and gone to heaven. Either way, they win. Either way, they win. It may not be what you and I want, but obeying Christ is what gives us a peaceful and settled heart and not telling God, if you don't do it my way, you're not God. Well, that's like an ant trying to tell you how to build a house. You're much smarter than an ant. And by the way, I know you're pretty brilliant people, but God's a whole lot smarter than you are. But what I see is Jesus never gives up on me despite my failures. He doesn't chastise his disciples. And I'm rushing right here. I'd love to camp all this for a little while. Every once in a while, you'll hear me say, get it? And you go, Got it. good. Let's do it again. Get it? Good. Why do I do that? Because Jesus will take you through that process over and over and over until you get it. Mm-hmm. You ever had a child that just doesn't get it and they pitch a fit? You take them through the whole process again until they finally learn how to discipline themselves. There are two mistakes we make of miracles. What's next? We just want to be entertained. We're kind of, how many of you remember Jesus Christ Superstar? I wasn't allowed to go see that. 
So I had to sneak in the library and get the cassette tapes and listen to it, you know, as a student in high school. And, and I still remember Herod saying to Jesus, walk across my swimming pool, wanted to get that miracle done. You know, we live in an obsessed society with miracles. And so we don't want to live with that thing, what's next, like the next big thing. We don't want to live our lives trying to get under the spout where the glory comes out, so to speak. We want to be faithful. But the other danger is this, that we go, so what? What's the big deal? Because that means we have lost our awe of God. Stay amazed by Jesus. Stay amazed by grace. And Jesus always promises us victory if you and I remain faithful. I promise you that. If you remain faithful, you will have victory. Whether in this life or the next life, you will have victory. But when you die in faith, that is the most victorious faith you can die in. When you die in faith and you do not deny Christ, friends, you leave behind a witness, a peaceful heart, and a settled heart. Good Friday night, several people met me out here in the foyer which, and touched, talked to me and says, Pastor, just thank you for telling those stories of people you've been with when they died and what they experienced. They didn't die in defeat. They died in victory. They died in grace. And they left a witness for us. And the story starts with a miracle and ends with a miracle. The bracketed miracle that I talked about. So in the sake of time, I'm not going to read verse 56. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a prayer with you tonight. Maybe you're stuck. And there's a lot of things we could talk about, about how to get unstuck in life, just common sense decisions you can make. But if you're stuck tonight because you're panicked or you're afraid or you feel like you're struggling, you're not making any headway, the number one thing before you start trying to go through all the steps of getting unstuck that maybe a, a life coach would teach you or a business coach would teach you or maybe even a, a mentor would teach you, the number one thing is to settle this issue. Do you recognize the presence of God? And do you know he will never take his eyes off of you? George Beverly Shea used to sing for Billy Graham's Crusades all the time. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Jesus, if he cares about a sparrow, he cares about you so much more. Let me pray for you tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you with all of our hearts. And Lord, I can't begin to describe the peace and the strength that it brings to me, to this congregation, to this church, Lord, when we realize God, how much you love us, how much you care for us. And Lord, we can rest confident in this as long as we are obeying you, no matter if you push us out into the lake, Lord, you will show up, you will be there, and you will take us through the storms when we get stuck. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for watching tonight. We're going to have a Q&A session here. I encourage you to come join us one Wednesday night. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Good night.